Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. All right, Seattle. Hey, it's time for Happy Hour Radio. Welcome to 570 KVI, and I'm your host, Christopher Chan, Advanced Sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and uh, your samurai of spirits. I've got uh, some really fun things going on in the studio today. First of all, I've got a really cool book that just came in the mail. It's The Connoisseur's Guide to Worldwide Spirits, uh, Selecting and Savoring Whiskey, Vodka, Scotch, Rum, Tequila... <laughs> And I like it. And everything else, it says. Which means it's basically your Koran or Torah or Bible for um, how to enjoy the libations of distillation. Uh, the author's name is Richard Carlton Hacker. He's actually on the line today. He's calling down from California this evening. And we're going to chat with him. But I also have um, a triumvirate of uh, professionals here locally. Uh, Brandy Adams, Antoine Pinn, and Don Thornton. They um, they put together a... It's kind of a heist. It's one of those rare things you find in the world. Like, is that real? And is real. It's a 1969 bottle of Macallan Sherry Cask, a Duncan Taylor expression of uh, Macallan in uh, Glencairn Crystal. We're going to talk about this $75,000 plus bottle of whiskey that was sold here in Seattle, and that'll be fun. And then to finish off the show, I've got uh, Kurt Dammeyer, who is, of course, the man behind Beecher's Cheese and his lovely team and all those livestock animals producing uh, lactic acid stuff uh, for great cheese. Uh, he's got some cheeses here we're going to share, and then we'll talk about next week we got some steak. And it's going to be about Wagyu, so be sure to tune into that. I'm hungry already um, and a little bit parched, so let's welcome Richard Carlton Hacker. Hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Hey, Christopher, thanks. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Actually, I, I am. Happy Hour is my favorite time of day. It is. It's always happy hour somewhere, right? Is that what they say now? I don't know. What they <laughs> exactly. Say. Hey, um, you are an author, for one. Let's talk about you. Uh, how did you get into spirits, and how did you get into writing about spirits? Well, I've, I've uh, been published literally almost all my life. Uh, when I was 17, I, uh, I had a Western published, and I've been in print ever since. And then, uh, you know, I began drinking uh, probably, I hate to say this, but uh, before it was, uh, you know, of legal age. But then as you get into legal ages and beyond, you start drinking better and more. And being a writer, I was curious and began asking questions and uh, was fortunate enough to start visiting some distilleries. And one thing led to another, and I started writing more and more about spirits and uh, it just uh, escalated from that and culminated in, in this book. All right, so you went into spirits right away at an early age because ice was in my dad's liquor cabinet at about 12 and found a bottle of Froig, which really stopped me from drinking. <laughs> <laughs> when you start out, there's no place left to go, and you start out with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, if anyone's uh, parents listening out there and worried about their kids, just stock it with gin and Lafroig, and you'll be good. Just, hey, go at it. Help yourself. Uh, and also throw in, we are today, throw in some yeah. chewing tobacco in the drawer, too. <laughs> See how that affects them. Uh, this is your first book, second book, or which? Oh, no, no. I've written about um, 12 books. Uh, I've written books on pipe smoking, um, and I've written books, and I should clarify that nowadays. I'm talking tobacco pipes. And then uh, I've written um, a number of books on cigars. The Ultimate Cigar Book is now in its uh, fourth edition, which just came out like two years ago, and it's doing really, really well. And uh, this is, I've written, you know, thousands of articles on spirits, but this is my first spirits book. I love it. Um, have you written a book about hedonism yet? Because it sounds like you're an expert. 
about what? I'm sorry. Hedonism. <laughs> oh yes. Well, that goes with the spirits book, you know. <laughs> the preface. I like it. Um, speaking with Richard Carlton Hacker, who has written the book, The Connoisseur's Guide to Worldwide Spirits, as well as um, what's the pipe smoking book called? Uh, it's called the Ultimate Pipe Book. The Ultimate Pipe Book. Um, and is it in the plumbing section, or is it? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, but people have asked me about that. Yeah. No. 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 It's a. Uh... It tells you everything you want to know about pipes. It does for pipe smoking what the spirits book um, hopefully does for spirits. You know, and now that that book is out of print, but I have a new one called Pipe Smoking: A 21st Century Guide, and that's for this next generation coming up. Who you know they they hear about pipe smoking. It's no longer the nostalgic thing it used to be back when I was in in school and college. You know, I used to smoke a pipe because I thought it made me look smart, but now people are doing it because it's it's relaxing. It's uh, more healthy than cigarettes, and it's uh, a lot less expensive. So that that's why that book is is still kicking around. Well, I like the phrase "more healthy than cigarettes." So <laughs> that's good. Yeah, you can always use that uh, as one of the uh, uh, contrasts for what we're doing here. Um, I'm wondering, you know, for that pipe book, you should you should include a free set of uh, a lamb chop or mutton chop sideburns, as you can wear. Into right, the 50, and a smoking uh, jacket and smoking. cap. You I know? like it. Well, let's talk about this book. This book sounds is first of all, it's a beautifully uh, put together book. You've got a preface. You talk about glassware. You talk about, of course, the regional spirits, but. What? Uh, how did you find the direction here? How did you figure out where I'm going to go first? Well, that's a good question because I'd written about virtually almost all the spirits in the world over my my you know career thus far, but they were always articles, 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 and I was looking for a book that would have a compendium of all the spirits, and I couldn't find one. I mean, there are excellent books on bourbon. And there's excellent books on single malt scotch, and there's excellent books on vodka. But I couldn't find a book that I could pick up and just get an overview of literally every spirit in the world. So I figured, you know, I'm going to write one. I'm going to write the book I've always wanted, and that's what this book is. Uh, very cool. It's 22 chapters and then a dictionary of terms. Uh, I like it. You First of all, you say, how to taste spirits like a pro. Does that mean you spit or what? <laughs> Well, with, with spirits, uh, if you're tasting at home, no, you swallow. But if you're tasting uh, in competitions, I'm one of the judges at the uh, San Francisco World Spirits Competition. And, you know, we're doing 80 to 150 proof spirits. You don't dare swallow. You you know, you, you, you nose it. And I go through the book in that chapter. I actually take you step by step. But, you know, you look at the color, you swirl it, you nose it. Um, with your mouth open, because that cuts the alcohol. It's a little secret that I impart to readers and, and, and your listeners now. Um, and then after you make your notes, you take a sip, you hold it to your mouth, and you mentally dissect everything in there. And then, here's the important part, you spit it out uh, for two reasons. One, high alcoholic content, and we're doing, you know, at this competition, we're doing like you know, a couple of hundred spirits over a three-day period, so you'd be flat on the floor. So you, you spit it out, and then you breathe because you get so many more sensory perceptions through your olfactory senses, through your nose. We've got 40,000-plus receptors up there, and there's only like seven on our tongue. So that's the way you do it, and that's, you know, typically that's what I – and I talk about the type of glasses you should use because glasses, just like with wine, you know, because you're, you're a sommelier, so you know this, but – 
glasses make a difference, you know, in the type of spirit you're, you're uh, drinking. I agree. Uh, well put. I like it uh, that you also wrote here, um, <clears throat> going beyond saying, gee, that's good, I like it. <laughs> that's typically what I hear as a sommelier. Uh, this is nice. I like it uh, as far as wine goes. But pretty cool. Um, one of the interesting chapters I see here, and of the 22, uh, sorry, 32 chapters, that is, uh, of course, you got Moonshine and Rum, Tequila, Mezcal, Liqueurs, Grappa, Absinthe. Uh, Pisco, but shochu and baiju. Um, now that's amazing. How much do you do you like those spirits? Do, do I like what now? Shochu and baiju. Oh, shochu? Oh no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think in that chapter I say shochu is an, an acquired taste. I mean, it's the most popular thing you know in in Korea, and that's great because they grew up on that. Um, but no, I I put all the spirits in there, and, and I was being objective about it. I've got Baijo in there, too. You know, Baijo is, uh, you know, the, the most uh, heavily consumed spirit in the world, but no one's ever heard about it because it's 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 consumed in China, and they have, what, 3.4 billion people in China, so of course it's going to have a lot of, uh, you know, people drinking it, but boy, outside of uh, China, you rarely find it. But I felt I had to put that in because some bartenders are now experimenting with Baijo, and they're experimenting with Shochu, and they're, you know, doing it as cocktail ingredients as opposed to just straight shots like they would do it in Asia. <laughs> well, I think um, part of me, the, the whole straight shot idea is so you get it over with quick. Uh, I've had, uh, I was in China, <laughs> China doing an international spirits competition myself, and Baiju, I, I luckily pulled that short straw, uh, and what um, a horrific experience it was. Uh, even my the genes in my Asian heritage were also uh, cringing <laughs> behind it all. Um, if you have some advice, there's so many different vodkas out there, and vodka was the huge craze in the last, you know, the 90s and flavored vodkas. Um, right, right. What, what's your opinion? I mean, vodka is supposed to be by nature an odorless, tasteless, colorless. Uh, so how do people, how are people supposed to enjoy it? Well, and that's another good question because uh, as, as, a, as a team captain on this, uh, this San Francisco competition, we always start the first day in the morning out with the, a flight of vodkas. And, and so we have like 25 different vodkas. And anybody who believes that U.S. government uh, definition of vodka being tasteless, odorless, colorless, they've been going to the wrong bars because uh, if you line... You, and, you, and you, your listeners can do this. You get, buy three different brands of vodka. Pour them in little shot or shot glasses, or better yet, cognac glasses with a narrow neck, and just nose each one. Just sniff it, and you will find there are differences. I mean, you know, good, bad, and different. A lot of it's personal taste, but some vodkas taste like water. They're very watery, but a lot of them have got some real subtle flavors. Uh, you know, giving the, the fact that vodka itself is a subtle spirit. And what what sort of descriptors might you use to help a uh, person describe vodka? Is it peppery? Is it uh, herbaceous? Is it uh, hot? Or I'm I'm just trying to think from my own um, perspective, my own experience. Uh, when you think yeah, about vodka, almost almost all of the above. Uh, uh, not hot, unless you're talking about flavored vodkas, uh, of which there are many, <laughs> many, many. But uh, no, there's a. Uh, it's a, um, peppery comes into that, depending on the vodka. Again, um, grass-like is probably one of the most common descriptors you're going to find. Um, and then you might find hints of lime or whatever, because, you know, unlike gin, these things don't have bot botanicals per se. But the flavors from vodka comes from the water, and the water does make a difference. And it comes from whether it's distilled from potatoes or corn 
or whatever, because in theory you can make a vodka from any organic uh, material. I, I love it. Uh, great explanation. Um, Richard Carlton Hacker, The Connoisseur's Guide to Worldwide Spirits. Where might we find this book online, I imagine? Uh, you can. Amazon.com uh, has the best prices, I can tell you that. Uh, the book- <laughs> I got Walmart. I'm a, I'm a bargain hunter, you know. Um, I mean, you know, on, on your $75,000 McAllen, I'd probably look to see if I could get it for maybe 69000 But <laughs> But the price for the book, like I said, it retails for 30 bucks, but Amazon's got it for twenty ninety nine. That's the best price I've found. Uh, but bookstores can certainly order it, yes. Awesome. Do you have a website as well to share some of the other uh, tomes you have regarding the hedonistic lifestyle that uh, every man and woman should partake in? <laughs> I, I, I do. It's, it's richardcarltonhacker.com, which I thought was pretty clever. Um, and Carlton spelled with an E, C-A-R-L-E-T-O-N. Um, I don't have the spirits book up on there yet, but the cigar book and the pipe books are are on there, along with a lot of other books that I've written in the past on pipe collecting and that type of thing. Well, my dad used to smoke pipes, and uh, I, I remember that specifically, and, and how many different tobaccos there were. Do you ever use some of those uh, types of tobacco described spirits? Um, almost the reverse. Um, although I, I do, you know, there's a perique, for example. There's a certain um, um, absinthe that is made with a little bit of perique, and perique is a really, really heady um, tobacco that grows in Louisiana. Um, and in my book, I described smoking a bowl full of perique straight, <laughs> which I do not recommend. It's like bijou, but uh, worse. And uh, it, it's just, it's like smoking a tire, you know, a rubber tire. But it's a good mixer when you're doing tobacco blends. And so I said, well, gee, what does this taste like by itself? So I could better pick it out if I'm analyzing blends, which I do. And so I smoked it, and I didn't smoke a whole bowl full. I just had a few puffs, <laughs> and then my, my hair changed color, and <laughs> I had to stop. Oh, it's so but, funny. Um, and- all right, so the website is Richard Carlton Hacker, C-A-R-L-E-T-O-N, hacker.com, and you get a chance to check out The Connoisseur's Guide to Worldwide Spirits. Uh, the Perfect Weight, no, The Pipe Perfect Pairing, what was it? It was, it's well. It's what now? Your pipe book. <laughs> oh, the, oh, the pipe book is uh, the is the the twenty first century guide to pipe smoking. I love it. Hey, Richard Carlton Hacker, uh, thanks so much for sharing your time, and your expertise here in Happy Hour Radio. Uh, Christopher, it's my pleasure, and I hope you enjoy that bottle of McAllen you've got sitting in front of you. I wish that were the case. Hey, folks, <laughs> stick around. We're going to have Antoine, Pin, Brandy Adams, and Don Thornton talking about some really expensive hooch. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 8 a.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chen. Hey, Seattle, welcome back. It's time for round two. I hope you got something tasty in your glass. And if not, I got something to tease you about. It's uh, a bottle of 1969 Macallan, a sherry cask, uh, also in a very, very fancy crystal decanter, which is almost in front of me. But I've got three beautiful people in front of me. I've got Brandy Adams, who's with American Northwest uh, Distributors. She is the representative of Wine and Spirits from the company who obtained a bottle of 1969 Macallan. I also have Antoine Pinn and uh, Don Thornton, who are both with 
town and country markets, and they helped uh, find a buyer, somebody longing to spend copious amounts of money on a very, very rare bottle of whiskey. So, Don, uh, Randy, and Antoine, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. I like it. Uh, Well, thank you for being here. Um, Wow, let's talk about this. First of all, how did you find, was was it the, the egg before the chicken? Did you find the bottle before the buyer? Did you find a buyer for the bottle? Well, we found the bottle first. Okay. So we represent a proprietor of scotches called Duncan Taylor, kind of like a negotiant winemaker. They he they seek out fine scotches, and back in 1969, they had purchased a barrel of scotch from McAllen Distillery and aged it all of this time in their own cellars and put some up for sale. Interesting. So when we think about negotiants, obviously negotiants can buy finished product or they can buy the, the grapes in the wine business. But for, for spirits, typically, and for the sherry people and the almacenistas, they buy the finished product only, correct? In this case, yes. Yes. All right. So we have, um, now was it really 1969? They didn't like buy it in 1970. They actually bought it in 69. They did. Okay. So that was new make spirits. So it was very clear at the time. And they said, you know, let's just put it away. That's the idea. Yes, huh? and McKellen has asked for to buy it back several times since then. Wow! <laughs> but they said we're all good. We'll keep that. You know, that's quite, kind of the business plan. Let's see. We will make this <laughs> investment now in fifty years. It's like the old savings bond, which <laughs> you don't see those many anymore. Um, how do how do you represent this particular? Uh, you called it Duncan and Taylor is the uh, negociant or proprietor. Duncan Taylor, right? And we carry several different bottlings from them from different distilleries. And my company very cheekily sent us out all an email letting us know that we had this very expensive bottling that we could sell. Right. I think we should use the term rare, because then it's like, ooh, rare. We talk about it's provenance. Very rare. Anything can be expensive. <laughs> only, <laughs> only 25 of these to the world. To the world. And those are in the 750 milliliter bottle, right? Correct. All right. And they were, they were um, bottled in a very special um, receptacle, right? This is a Glencairn crystal... Glencairn is also an old distillery. Uh, correct, I believe. Right, and now and they just make glassware. Makers of one of the top makers of crystal. Typically, when you the have world. the Glen, right, you're thinking it's a. Uh, well, let's get Antoine Pin involved because uh, obviously Antoine must be one of your accounts at Town and Country. Correct, I'm his sales rep. All right, way to rep, yeah. Antoine. So you did. She goes, hey, by the way, you know, if you know anybody with, uh, if you know any billionaires. <laughs> yeah, it pretty much went that way. She uh, she just came in, and I was sitting at my desk, and here's Brandy with this offering on a single piece of paper, and uh, I kind of looked at her, and, and, and I said, are you serious? And and we really just kind of looked at each other and chuckled. We laughed. Um, and and I, she said, do you think you have anybody? And I said, I can think of only two people in my head right now that possibly would do this. So about 10 minutes later, I, I called the first person who happily laughed at me and told me no thank you. Uh, and then I called the second gentleman who was uh, on his baby moon in, uh, on, on Maui. And he asked me if, I, if, he, if he had to sell his Porsche. I told him if he had the second Porsche, he'd have to sell that one too. Uh, but he, in the end, said no. Uh, it took me about two weeks to get an answer from him. Uh, but over the course of uh, approximately three to four weeks, uh, the original buyer that I had called who said no uh, had a friend. And we nurtured that connection to get to that friend. 
and one day he's he's at at, at the store picking up uh, 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 actually he was actually there picking up a, a an empty barrel that that was sitting in in my back stock that I needed to get rid of to be honest with you, and he says well. Um, I think our buyer, who, what do we call him? We want to call him Rich? Rich. Yeah, we'll call him Rich. <laughs> <laughs> he says, he says I think Rich wants to buy the bottle. And I looked at him, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, and that was a Friday. And by Monday, I had Rich in, uh, in our office, in our store manager's office to work the deal out. Um, the deal. The Let's deal. talk to Don here. I think this corporate should be called here when we're talking about yeah. a certain price point, right? You got to get permission for the Opus Ones of the world, probably not, but this one. Yeah, I, I, when he told me about it, I laughed in his face too. Um, but when he told me that this guy was a serious buyer, um, and our friends at America Northwest were willing to kind of take a cut on their, uh, their margin, and and asked if we could do the same, which is completely against our uh what we would normally do sure and uh and i actually had to go get permission from my ceo to to do that to to broker the deal um and he did say yes so uh, i went back to the store and and i gave them the permission to go do it you have my blessing son daughter. <laughs> so um let's talk about the spirit how did do you did you pr- provide with her tasting notes is there some did you have a picture of it or did you, did we had, you actually we had to bring the buyer along quite quite a ways we did some talking there in in the past there had been six bottles of macallan all in lalique crystal sold in hong kong um it was a huge story it was sold for a, ch- a ch- children's charity, I believe, the collection, six bottles, all in all in Lalique and all in a beautiful cabinet, went for half a million. Wow! I showed the buyer the picture of the collection in its cabinetry in its Lalique, and his response was, "I would marry that." <laughs> <laughs> I think we had him. That's like uh what do you call it? Um poly <laughs> polygamy if you got six bottles. Well that's really cool. Uh, so you had him at hello, right? Is that it? Yeah, well he saw he saw that and then thought, you know, relatively he could relatively have his own version of that For a lot with less. the sixty nine McAllen in oh, the right. Glen Karen crystal in its own little cabinet. He could have his own version of that for a lot less, and he would be very proud of it. Well, that's cool. And Antoine, how did you did you did you study uh, single malts for a while? Did you study the history of Glen Karen or the, of uh, Duncan and Taylor? How did you learn more about it so you felt comfortable talking about this huge investment? So the the connector uh, is a, an avid collector of scotches, and he quite literally gave me a crash course in the span of about a month, just to be able to. Uh, to to understand what what we were talking about here, uh, and uh, for me it was literally about tasting everything. You have to taste everything, and you have to kind of uh, uh, really kind of analyze everything. So uh, it did a lot of reading, did a lot of uh, background checking on the on different products, different vintages, different things, and then tasted everything. Um, yeah, it prepared me pretty well, and we obviously made the deal and. Um, here we are. Here we are. So, Don, did you do a little uh, understanding? Did you do some research to say, what are we getting into? I, I did, and um, I, I felt pretty confident in, in our vendor partners and in Antoine's relationship. And, I mean, it, it looked like it had the, the provenance of uh, what this guy was looking for. 
So I felt pretty confident about the deal. Um, but we did cover ourselves in a few ways. Uh, we actually um, did wire transfers for everything and made sure all of this uh, guy's money was in our bank before we actually went ahead and it's said, not in a bank it. in Nigeria. What <laughs> 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 to do is send me some cash. I'll get it all right. That's fun. Well, I, that's that's curious too because I was hoping I could charge it because fifty thousand miles gets me first round or first class round trip. <laughs> he, he got a really good experience out of it. For him, it wasn't just the bottle. Um, he got the opportunity to uh, fly to Scotland and actually stay with the Dun- the Duncan Taylor families. Um, the family, right? Well. Th- I'm not sure about family, but he uh, was entertained by the CEO. They fed him dinner. They gave him a whole tour of the distillery. He got to see his bottle of scotch being bottled. And then it's my understanding the CEO and he went out and drank till three or four in the morning. Awesome. So he got a great experience. Uh, so it included a round trip, a uh, little vacation. No, it didn't include it. No, but... he was going over to Europe. Oh. And so they, they held the bottling for when oh, he would so be fun. there. I'm wondering if you could get a little steak, because I want to be, you know, making toothpicks out of that steak. <laughs> Here you go. You got those cinnamon picks. Maybe there's yes. a Macallan pick. This, whoa, <laughs> that's all you need. That's pretty neat. Do you have a huge selection now? Have you have you fostered more of a, a an interest in some of the older spirits or luxury or rare cuvées? So it's interesting because I, I, I kind of feel right now that uh, um, most of the producers are going to non-statement uh, uh, scotches, which is okay. Um, uh, meaning non-statement, non-vintage, if you will, non-aging. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, we have a, a, a nice uh, a mix of, of really interesting scotches, uh, town and country. Don, I'm sure Don will be able to um, explain to you what the other stores have, but uh, I, I like what we have. How many town and countries are there? Uh, we've got six stores. Six stores all around the Puget Sound? All around Sound. Town, uh, two on the west side and then uh, four on the uh, the Seattle side. Do you have a website? Do you, do you have liquor on your website? Uh, we don't on the website. Okay. Um, so find your local town and country. Look for Antoine Penn or Don Thornton uh, and Brandy Adams. Wow, what a treat. What a great story. I'm pleased to share that with everybody. And uh, you can almost smell it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty bottle. In my mind. Um, hey, thanks so much for joining me and sharing the story about the 69 McCallan here on Happy Hour Radio. Thanks, Christopher. Thank you. Christopher. Awesome. Hey, folks, stick around. Uh, we're going to have some more exciting, exciting, tasty drinks here on Happy Hour Radio. Unapologetically American, period. Kirby Wilbur, weekdays, 10 to noon, talk radio, 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Sommelier, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, hope you enjoyed that uh, last segment. It's kind of funny. We're all in ooh and ah about uh, the 1969 bottle of Macallan by the proprietors Duncan and Taylor out of Scotland, uh, a local buyer through uh, the uh, the connections of town and country markets and, of course, American Northwest. They put it all together um, for the all of the mere price of $75,587.00. And- one cent. I'm not sure where the one cent goes. But that bottle of 1969 McCallum went for $75,000. It can be yours next time. Um, but I've got a very, uh, I've got almost a millionaire. He's a millionaire in cheese. His name is Kurt Dammeyer. He is the, uh, well, he's the proprietor, the founder of uh, world famous Beecher's Cheese in New York and in Seattle. Hey, Kurt Dammeyer, welcome back to Happy Hour. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Do we get to taste the, the scotch? 
Well, we get to look at, admire the thought of tasting it. How <laughs> sad. Appreciate what it takes to work that hard and save all your pennies and then have the uh, uh, the for- for- fortune of, actually fortune, fortune of buying it, spending it on that. That's cool. It's nice when you can make those decisions, you know? What are you going to do? Well, that's what I want. It, it does not... It does not suck to be able to do that, I guess. Yeah. Um, the question is, though, and I tell my dad, I ask my dad, I was like, hey, dad, you've got 6,000 bottles of wine. Um, you going to drink them all? I mean, are we going to drink them all? <laughs> no, he's, he's, like, he's, sell, he's selling it now. It's like, dude, come on. Come on. He's not collecting for you after he's gone. Well, I think he's collecting half for me. And, you know, some, but, you know, he's, I don't know. Sometimes when the price gets to be that, it's like, gosh, I could sure use 25 grand. <laughs> I guess. Um, anyway, let's uh, we digress. Um, but uh, what a story that is. 1969. That's when my sister was born. That would be a nice present. She drank scotch. She doesn't. She turns red, uh, <laughs> which works out for me. So, uh, Kurt, you've got some cheeses. And these are interesting cheeses because you, you make, what, six different kinds of cheese, right? You've got... We probably make about 15 different kinds 15 of kind, right. Six. Well, I don't know why I got six. Um, but these cheeses uh, are similar. Let's talk about these cheeses. Well, so these are cheeses that aren't really available necessarily to the general public. Kind of like that whiskey. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little less than $76,000. Oh, good. Well, you could buy a lot of cheese with that, actually. So, And they're all different versions of our flagship cheese. Uh, and they're, they're really going to be an interesting mix of different kinds of animals' milks. We have uh, one that's all cow's milk, one that's half cow, half sheep, and one that's all sheep. You mean there's a half cow, half sheep out there? <laughs> yeah, it's like a man bear pig. <laughs> okay, keep going. <laughs> you did see that. I did. To South Park, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then I've got one that's a, an extra aged, a six year aged flagship, mm. which is really special. We don't we don't sell it. It really is only available in the refrigerator here at Beecher's. Is that something that you forgot, or you actually plan on it? No, we plan on it. Okay. Well, um, you know, it's interesting when you said there's different kinds of animals, like, oh, we're going to get some bear cheese or something, like, <laughs> you went there. Um, how come we don't use, like, bovine or, um, like, pig's pig's milk for cheese? Uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen a pig, but they're... they're they got, um, like, 12 teats. But they don't look very easy to milk. Oh, I think you basically have to be a small pig to get that milk out of there. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever pass for that. Um, perhaps a larger one. Uh, and that's even true of other animals, other ruminant animals that we aren't quite as popular, like goats and sheep. They're harder to milk, and therefore they're not the predominant cheese-making animals. Right. So but they're no, tasty. There's no bull cheese then, right? <laughs> no bull cheese. <laughs> Okay. Well, um, what's the secret to the flagship? Uh, is it the culture? That, is it the style of cheese? Is it the aging? What's the secret? Well, it's. I'd say that it's the the high quality milk, and uh, all of our milk for all of our cheeses, our main cheeses, are half um, Holstein cows and half Jersey cows. Holstein cows have bright white, um, sweeter, uh, lower fat milk, and it's the t- the predominant milk that we drink. And then Jersey cows are kind of like the Pinot Noir of cows. They're a little bit cantankerous, kind of hard to manage, smaller. And they produce higher fat, yellower, more complex flavored milks, which are really almost nearly unavailable in the market as fluid milk. But so for us, the combination of the Holstein milk and the the Jersey milk create the perfect canvas for our talented cheesemakers. Okay. 
and then lastly is the 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 recipe itself which is very good and our and our um determination to age it before we sell it we don't sell so if you go to the store and you look at the the orange cheddar they have the mild medium and sharp it's like 3 months 6 right. months and 12 months mm-hmm. we don't sell any of our of our aged cheese until or uh, the the flagship until it's about 20 months the youngest one is 20 months. So, is, is there a cycling for the the harvest of milk and the, the production of cheese? Is are you more plentiful in the summer or more plentiful in the winter when they're not calving? I don't know. I mean, uh, in having your sources of milk, you know, with grass and grain, you know, there's no grass in the winter time per se. So, if they're grass fed, they would have to be on a different diet. Yeah. So our our dairies, we we have two dairies we work with here in Seattle and another two in the New York City area, and because they're they're cold weather dairies in the winter the cows are certainly not out on the on the grass they're fed silage in uh in the winter in the summer they're fed a lot of fresh grass not not necessarily where they're going out and getting it themselves but the farmer might be mowing it they got a dealer yeah exactly (laughs) so what happens is and, and then cows in the dairy industry they don't have a particular season the the dairying community has learned basically how to do one twelfth of the cows get pregnant every every mm. month so there isn't really this seasonal uptick or downtick of milk and so what what we do see at Beecher's for sure is differences in the milk in the in the winter the milk is maltier and and richer and in the summer it's a little bit grassier and and, and leaner and so we have differential flavors from season to season. It isn't like, oh my God, this is a summer and this is a is a is a um, winter. It it's subtle. So not like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc versus Sancerre because you know they're they're same grape but entirely different wines. Although they have some similarity. Um, interesting. When we talk about cheeses, what are the basic um, descriptors you will use to talk about Beecher's flagship? So the organoleptic profile that we've developed for flagship are our perfect flagship and we grade every vat every vat of cheese that we make at Beecher's is graded by a panel of humans and they grade it <laughs> one through five um, one being there's something went wrong and we have to we have to throw this away um, hardly ever does is that, that when it ha- is that the only time you figure out that it's a one or is it you say like you know this isn't curdling enough or this isn't setting right well, there's occasional times when you're making it you'll know but most of it, it it's something that happened in the aging like the the bag broke or something that it aged wrong uh, then three four and five are are cheeses that we like but um, three is is good four is great and five is totally awesome and so what we do is we try to track back those fives. I mean, in the in the cheese business, quality is free. It doesn't cost us any more to make a five than it does a three. And so we're trying constantly to track back to what made those perfect pieces of cheese. And the number one flavor that we identify is browned butter. Okay. People talk about our cheese being creamy. They talk about it being nutty. Uh, it isn't a standard cheddar. It's what you'd call a sweet cheddar or kind of a cross between a cheddar and a gruyere. 
And the, the, the flavor profile that we look for is that brown butter flavor. Mm. Well, I like that. That's, that goes with trout. It goes with uh, pancakes. It goes with brown butter. It's like good for everything. Now, you have 15 different cheeses, um, and your flagship was the first cheese you produced. Is that right? Is that what I recall? Yes. Um, and we're talking about brown butter flavors. So when we think about brown butter, basically you're burning the butter fat in there and just getting a little caramelization, if you will, the nuttiness. Um, and, and these cheeses, is that something that is... When you taste your cheeses, are you coring a sample, or are you just, I mean, how do you figure out how many, because you've got all these bricks of cheese, right? Is that what it's a brick or So on the, on the blocks, and our, our, our cheeses that are, that are sold in Cryovac in the, in the, uh, in the grocery store yeah. uh, are typically made in blocks, 40-pound blocks. And so what we'll do is we'll cut off one, one part of one block right when it's made and cry, and save that separately, age that separately as a representative sample of that block. Mm. So we don't go core those blocks because they when they go into uh, right, you'll get a distribution. It's Swiss not cheese hole or something. Yeah, <laughs> with with our cloth bound cheeses, our higher end cheeses, which are in in cylinder, they're in made in cylinders, and uh, we do use the traditional core or to sure. get out a sample. Just like the classic uh, Wisconsin, which you see uh, in the movies, per se. Uh, really cool. Speaking with Kurt Dammeyer, who is the founder of Beecher's Cheese, and we have four samples of the flagship Beecher's. Which, uh, tell us what we have. We'll taste these in our next segment, but let's tease it. Well, so the first one is a six-year-aged version of our standard flagship, okay. which is really sweet and has a really pronounced terracine crystal. All right. And then the next three are all cloth-bound cheeses. Um, one is all uh, cow, one is half cow, half sheep, and one is all sheep. All right, perfect. Hey, folks, we got um, mm, we got copious amounts of cheese here with the man himself, Kurt Denmeyer. So stick around. We're going to try some cheese right here on Happy Hour Radio. They do for politics what Edison did with the light bulb. Kirby and Carlson, weekdays, 8 to 10 a.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right. Hey, folks, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for our fourth and final segment. And I've got four wedges of cheese, please, with Kurt Dammeyer, the founder of Beecher's Cheese here in downtown Seattle. And also, Soho, is it? Where are you in... Flatiron District. Flatiron District. 20, 20th and Broadway. Speaking of Flatiron, I think uh, next week we have you back talking about um, some fabulous beef, right? I'll be looking forward to that. Okay, so we'll, uh, we'll talk about more Flatiron, perhaps. Uh, right now, we got four um, uh, examples of Beecher's flagship cheese, the six, the uh, 100% cows. Six-year aged, and what we call flagship reserve, uh-huh. then flag sheep. Like and that. then sheep, 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 sheep. So you can tell which cows they. So we're gonna go left to right. Animals. So the first one, of course, is the six year. Now I'm really surprised how how still moist this is. When you think of six year old cheese, you can get very hard, which is representative of the second slice here and the third slice. This is very so creamy. The first one is aged entirely inside cryovac, so it doesn't lose any moisture. Got it. That's why the, the aging is all happening from the bacteria, not from its loss of moisture. Mm. And it's. Definitely different than than Gouda or Gouda or Howda, as mm-hmm. it were, the the Dutch cheese, which is aged in. So much sweeter, mm. much stronger, uh, specifically mo- way sweeter. This is what I want on my um, my my cheese sandwich, my grilled cheese, and uh, any grill, any cheese sandwich, anything with cheese. I mean, this is so good. So I have a recipe in my last cookbook where we take this cheese, actually four year, but it could be the same, and turn it into a cheesecake. 
a no-bake cheesecake where you just grate cheese in to the, the batter. Oh, right on. Yeah, I think uh, savory cheesecakes are, are a wonderful way to go, especially when you've got um, red wine in your glass still. Mm-hmm. Um, delicious. And six years because you figured that was the time? No, six years because we just happened to have it. And <laughs> okay. it, we don't sell it anywhere. We just have it in our own refrigerator. I thought, you might like it. All right, so the next one is 100% cow's milk, but all 50% Jersey and 50% Holstein. Which is, the first one was too. Okay. And so this one is called Flagship Reserve. It's exactly the same cheese. It's just aged in cheesecloth mm-hmm. in open air rather than in cryovac bag. And so it's drier. It's sharper. It's more like a standard English farmhouse cheddar. Yeah. This is the one I, I think of from a European cheese. When you th- talk about moisture content, what's the moisture of one versus moisture of two of these examples here? I mean, is it a 20% difference or 15, could you say? Or can you speak to it at all? Uh, so an 18-pound wheel of, of the, of the cloth-bound cheeses ages out to a 16 pound wheel okay. it loses it loses two pounds of moisture as it ages where the 40 pound block on the first cheese weighs 40 pounds at the end okay interesting um rather cool so this one tastes a little more like um bread crust to me it's it's less it's it's buttery but it's not quite as nutty and savory as the first one definitely not as sweet it's uh. much more it's concentrated okay then the second one is called flag sheep the third one the third one, excuse yeah. me, the second cloth bound, the third is flag sheep, and it's uh, half cow's milk, half sheep's milk. And it won the best in show at the American Cheese Society a couple of years back out of 1,700 cheeses and, and 370 cheese show, makers. huh? Congratulations. That's really cool. And did you have an inkling that it was that good? I thought it was pretty good. Um, I didn't know for sure it would win, obviously, or I would have been there. <laughs> <laughs> they don't tell you in advance. <laughs> but you'd notice a, a big caramel note on that one. And the the uh, uh, some of our cheeses have a caramel note, but really pronounced when it's in with, with the sheep's milk. God, the retronasal on this. I'm just doing the wine thing, and it's just uh, such a flavorful, balanced and delicate flavor. It has power. I mean, it's concentrated. I shouldn't say delicate, but it's, right. it's, it's delicate in that ethereal sense. It's a Robert Parker cheese. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, no alcohol, though. We need some alcohol. What's going on? This can't be happy. Our radio. All right. The last one is called Sheep Sheep, and it's very limited quantity. We sell it only at our mm. uh, our own cheese shops. And Same age for these two? Rel- relatively the same age, and they're all um, under two years. And so that one you can really taste kind of a barnyardy kind of a taste. Mm-hmm. Really tastes sheepy. Like like you were licking a sheep in a good way. Okay. Like a lollipop or something. A lamb lamb pop. I don't know. Um interesting about sheep. So what is it about the sheep's cheese? Is it just more of a grass based diet? Is it just the way that the enzymes work? Is it less lactose? Because there's a bitterness to sheep, like Malmache, goat's cheese or sheep's cheese, right? I mean, well, I just... think that's more to do just the way the animal produces the cheese, how they process it inside. It, um, the sheep's milk is all, is about as thick as cream. So when I say on that first one that it's really? half cow and half sheep, we actually put in one-third sheep's milk and two-thirds cow's milk, but it ends up 50-50 because there's so much – sheep's milk is so much denser. Wow. This is such a treat. Now, can we go down to the shop and have a little cheese sampling you, you, at the Beecher's and Pike Place Market? Absolutely. If you read our Yelp, people know that we give away free cheese all the all time. All right. So check it out. And Beecher's, cheese.com or Beecher's.com? 
BeechersHandmadeCheese.com or BeechersCheese.com. Perfect. Wow. Kurt Dammeyer, uh, thanks for sharing some flagship, some reserve, and the six-year special uh, find, I will call it. <laughs> um, appreciate it. I'll see you next week for um, a great story and tasting about Mashima. Mashima Reserve uh, American Wagyu Beef. Hey, folks. Tune in for next week and hope you enjoyed today's show. And remember, uh, you can get your own bottle of 1969 account for $75,587.01. Hey, I'll see you next week right here in 570 KVI. And remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers!